fourth seal. This is the last seal that's introduced by one of the four living creatures. The fourth seal, and let's read Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll spend a little time on verses 7 and 8. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the world, from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Verse 7 and 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword and with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Four, fourth seal, as we find it here in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. I'd like to say that the Lord never delegated his position, power, characteristics, or attributes to another. And why should he do it on the fourth seal here with this horse? This, uh, the three previous seals in the book of Revelation, we see the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he owns not only the office of prophet, priest, and king, but he owns many other offices, and they're quite evident here in these first four seals that were opened. In the first seal, he's declared to be the one who overcomes sin and sinners. He goeth forth conquering and to conquer. And he's the one that is seen in such a powerful office as going forth and overcoming not just sin, but sinners. And the second seal, he had a great sword, and with that, he uh, will not let the truth and and, uh, and uh, error abide side by side. What fellowship does truth and error have together? And he says, I'll bring, I'll bring, uh, well, there in verse, uh, I'll take peace from the earth. Would you turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He cannot. He will not allow the truth and error to lay together. He will not allow them to abide together. There is such a distance between truth and error. 
And we never find in the scriptures when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians or to the Galatians or to the Romans that the error that they may have been practicing was almost the truth. You're either walking with him or you're opposed to him. That's what the Lord Jesus said. You're either walking with me or you are against me. You're either with me or against me. Uh, there's a broad way, there's a narrow way. There's not just almost, but there's such a diametrical uh, opposition between the truth and error. And tr error always centers around the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. So the Lord Jesus said in one of his uh, positions, one of his uh, places that he serves, uh, as we find he's prophet, priest, and king, but he's also the one that absolutely will not allow truth and error to rest together. They can't be on the same limb together. There's going to be error. Uh, error will raise up, error will cause uh, the lack of peace. As we find the Lord Jesus said, I came not to bring peace but a sword. There's going to be variance between mothers and sons, fathers and daughters, daughters-in-law and so forth. And this comes as a result of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And then we noticed here in, in the third seal, he has control of where the gospel is delivered. With up to him where it's preached, and it's up to him where his preachers are. There's no extra preachers, and there's none lacking. There's no places that are uh, he desires to have a preacher go that there isn't a preacher. There's no place in this world where the gospel needs to be preached, and if there is, he'll make sure a preacher gets there. Now, I'm not saying... Is someone standing in the pulpit. I'm saying it's someone who knows the gospel. They're going to take the gospel. And there's nothing lacking. And there's not an overmuch. He has exactly the right number. And when the gospel is prevented from going into a place, it's this one who rides on this horse with the balances in his hand and brings that famine. And if he decrees and desires that there be the gospel preached in the area, Nothing can prevent it. It will be preached. He will get someone there, and people will bend over backwards to have it there. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be a fuss, but he's going to win. doesn't mean that there won't be people opposed to it, but he will win. We follow the account of those missionaries down in Mexico, and they fought with the Mexican government for years, but the Lord won. And there's been people saved as a result. Why? Because there were lost sheep down there. Now, there's places where the gospel isn't being preached. There's only one reason, that there's not somebody there to preach the gospel. God hasn't moved on someone to be there. And that's, he doesn't have any extras, and he doesn't have any lacking. And it's not up to us to ever call anybody into any ministry. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what he did when he said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have sent them. And he set them aside. 
He had a mission for them to go to, a place for them to go to. And as we noticed last week, uh, the Apostle Paul had a desire to go into Asia, and he was prevented. He had a desire to go north. He was prevented. And then when he received a message from God, the Holy Spirit, in a dream, a man of Macedonia, please come over here. That was a clear sign to the Apostle Paul, that's the direction I'm going to go in. Now, there was no doubt a great dearth of famine in the places where the gospel was not preached, but there's no reason to go there if God doesn't open the doors and he will prevent people from going. And when there's a need, there's going to be a flower bloom. It looks like a dormant place, but God's going to raise up the flower of his grace and there will be the preaching of his gospel and there will be people gathered around it, and there will be people saved as a result of it. And then, if he chooses, like he has in so many places, there will be a secession of the gospel being preached, but it will be preached somewhere else. He has his lost sheep in every kingdom, every principality, every nation, every tongue, everywhere, and when it's time, he will cause them to bloom. They will be brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so he has the balance, and he's going to bring famine. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be famine in the world, physical famine. But it's a far greater famine when there is no gospel being preached. And as we look at that, uh, that second uh, seal that was opened, uh, there's no greater, no greater peace lost than when it's over the gospel. And the Lord Jesus said, I came not to bring peace but the sword, and I will bring variance. They cannot stay together in the same place. It can't and will not be tolerated. And I just remember when the Lord saved me down there at Central Point, I, I just could not believe that the people I'd been with for over 10 years would just say, you have 45 days to get out of the church parsonage. I could, but they did me a favor. Best thing they could have ever done for me. You have to leave. All right, now let's look here at this fourth. This fourth great uh, picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. What seems to be out of control is in his direct control. And that is death. There is a verse right here at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And that's found in chapter 1, verse 18. Would you turn there with me? And that's why I just, I just have to say this about this verse. This is not about some future phenomena. This is not about some future pestilence. This is ongoing. This has been around since Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord Jesus Christ is in charge of it. He has not given up his office of being in charge of this. The greatest, greatest fear, the greatest fear of man, and that's death. But notice here in Revelation chapter 1, and there in verse 18, it says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. He 
is in charge of this phenomena that every one of us must go through. Now notice here in this, in this uh, uh, fourth living creature introduces the uh, Apostle John to this sight and says, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on was death, and hell followed after him. Now, so often this phenomenon is looked at with dread. But to God's people, this is the friendliest of the four horsemen. It is through this that we're introduced to glory. It is through this that it's the passage door to heaven. It's through this door, through the door of death. This phenomena that is so dreaded is looked forward to by God's people. Turn with me way back in the psalm, Psalm 23. You've read this a thousand, no, maybe a hundred times. <laughs> a hundred times. I don't want to be exaggerating. <laughs> but Psalm 23, look at this with me if you would. He has the power over a definite number. It says that one quarter of the earth shall be slain. He has the power of death over a definite number. And death comes by many means. It comes by sword and famine and pestilence and war and even wild beasts. It comes, but God's in charge of it. The Lord Jesus is in charge of it. What seems to be out of control is under his direct control, and that's death and hell. The Lord is the Lord there too. He's not lost his position over death or over hell. He is L, capital L-O-R-D, over death and hell. He rules over that just like he does all other parts of this world and the kingdom. And notice here, as this, this uh, writer is a welcome visitor to the children of God. Now, as he approaches, as he approaches, he is a welcome visitor to God's people. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So this is a welcome horse. This, this is the Pony Express rider with the best news that a person could ever hear. Can you imagine what it was like to live out there in San Francisco and get a mail by a Pony Express rider from some loved one back there? Now, it cost him a lot. Cost him a lot, several dollars to get that letter on that Pony Express rider, but he's riding a pale horse, and he has the power of death and hell under his control, and in approaching his people, he comes in peace and great glory to welcome his people into his presence. This, his representation at this point, is the door to glory. The representation of the Lord Jesus Christ in this verse of Scripture is God's door to his presence. He has purposed that every one of his saved sheep shall enter into his presence in this way. And it has happened since Abel down to this very day. Now, if the Lord should happen 
by his providence and purpose, appear tonight. He said this, we shall not precede those that have already passed on, but they shall rise, and we shall be with them, and we shall all be together. But more than likely, and I hate to put it on a gambling position, we will enter into his presence by this great master, Lord of heaven and earth, riding a pale horse, and he is in charge of our entrance into his presence. He knows the day nor the, and the hour. There's an appointment that he has written in a book. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that to be in his presence. Now, to those without Christ, it will be to judgment. To those that are in Christ, they've already been judged in Christ. And we'll understand that better than we understand it now. So here he is coming on that great horse, sitting, riding in power and great glory, and introduces us to the presence of glory by what he is. He is in charge of our last breath on this earth. We spend our lifetime in preparation for that door. Once the Lord saves us, or whether or not he ever saves us, the whole life of man is in preparation for that day. Now, when the Lord saves us, our whole life is in preparation for when this horse arrives. Now, we've already met three horses in our life. We've met that great king sitting on a horse, with his power and ability to present to us the gospel and conquer us and going forth to conquer. We've already met that great one sitting on that horse. I'd like to use the word stallion. <laughs> great, mighty stallion sitting there. And he says, when I come, you're going to see the lack of peace, but I brought it. Don't think it's you. It's me. They're revolting against me. We've already seen that. He's going to come with that. And then we find that one. Uh, oh, Lord, I want to speak. I, I wish, Lord, I'd have been saved earlier. And we have that great stallion come up with him who is above all the great amen saying, I'm in charge of where the gospel goes. I'm in charge of who preaches the gospel. You be thankful I went to your house. Don't worry about when I came. You be thankful I came to your house. And then someday, someday, it's already struck some. We've already known some that that great stallion came with the one sitting on him who had death in his hand. And he entered into glory through this way. Oh, I just, I think of since I've been here, the ones that it was the easiest couple easy sermons to preach for Bob Farrell and for um, that old preacher, <laughs> Ben Preston. Just easy. I Sometimes you're asked to preach a, a funeral service and boy, you have to, they want you to get them into heaven and you just can't. It's not my business. I'll never forget going down there with, with uh, Milton Howard to a funeral and that mama, that boy, that died, she came up to him and took him aside and says, don't preach him into hell. That's all her request was. He says, that's not my job. My job is to preach the gospel. 
with that horse and that great one that sits on it. We've met three already. As time goes on, we'll meet the fourth one, that great fourth captain, the captain of our salvation, who is the door of our entrance into glory. Turn with me, if you would, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we see this great uh, work of grace, great work of grace. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. I'll tell you, Methuselah, Methuselah lived to be, what, 969 years old? Oh, can you just imagine how weary he was with the things that were going on? He was just weary. Oh, he heard tell about how how that was in the Garden of Eden, and now look at it. Now, he lived to see a lot of generations of his family, and oh my, he lay his head down on the bed every night and said, my goodness, can it get any worse? And this horseman came up and took him out. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that... If our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For if in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, can you imagine what 969 years of life, what a burden was on him? Oh, it just, I read back 400 years and those old preachers said, the kids are going to, in a handbasket. <laughs> life is bad, religion is bad, everything's bad. Well, we don't think it can get any worse. Just wait a while <laughs> in this life. There's not going to be any peace in this world. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, the down payment of eternal life, is the regenerated being that's in us, captivated and held in sway by the Holy Spirit. This rider is a welcome victor to the children of God. Now, as we think about the events that went on here early in the book of Revelation, have gone on down through the ages, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, our ages, the 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, 21st century, before Christ, the ages that went down, I, I've just been reading there about Israel and how many times after God did a great work for them, did they turn right around and complain, complain, complain. Now, they are a picture of the church, but it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of them knew the first thing about grace. They're just a whole flock of lost people. 
They don't represent the church when they're complaining. They represent natural man when they're complaining. They're complaining. Now, there are five things that will help us as we face the sorrows and difficulties of this life. As long as we are in the world, there will be. There will be pain and sorrow. There will be affliction and persecution. There will be. We don't get an escape route on that. They will be our constant companions. They will be. Now, it rises and falls, but there will be. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Oh, what a wonderful verse of Scripture this is. Isaiah 43 and verse 2. Just shares a lot. We, we have all the... When that, <laughs> that second horse comes along, says, I'm going to take peace from the world. And my goodness, we're out there. We're just having a grand time rejoicing in the great things of God and our salvation. And someone comes along and says, I don't like what you're saying. I disagree with you. I don't like you. Leave. Family, friends. Well, look here. Isaiah 43, verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers, when you walkest through the fire, I'll be with you. Secondly, whatever we suffer in this world, we suffer from the hands of a gracious God. It's his prescription. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 6, again, in verse 4. Revelation, chapter 6, and verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Power was given unto him that sat thereon. Whatever happens, happens at the result of a gracious God. All things are regulated by God's decree. What happened to John was according to God's decree. What happened to Saul, Paul of Tarsus, was according to God's decree. The thorn in the flesh was according to God's decree. Everything that happened was according to God's decree. When Paul left a man on an island sick, it was according to God's decree. He's in charge of that just like he's in charge of hell and death. What happens 
he's in charge of and he's a gracious god i was talking to wayne boyd the other day and oh, he's got more work than he can do he just and it's his job is cleaning houses that are freshly built the contractor that he works for has houses down the road and here we are in this great housing recession he said i got more work we're working more hours on and on he went he says god is good and i says brother wayne if you weren't working god is still good his goodness is not measured whether we have a job or not his goodness is his character it is his goodness that leadeth us to repentance now i didn't i didn't try to correct him or anything and he said you're right you're right you know we all know that that's the truth god is not his goodness is not dependent on how he treats us his goodness is his character that was one thing i really learned when jennifer was in that near fatal accident people said god is good he spared her it just struck me god is good if he'd have taken her I'm glad he left her, but God will still be good. He's gracious. God uses sorrows and afflictions uh, to uh, refine and purify and strengthen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews, chapter 12, it shares a lot about our position before the Lord. In fact, when he does these things, it's a sure sign that we're children of God and not illegitimate, not just, well, I heard a preacher down there at uh, Florida say not zombies, not dead ones trying to look alive. That's what he, the inference, you know. Uh, if, if we created, we got someone to be religious, we've got a zombie on our hands. They've never been resurrected. They're going through the form, but they have no life in them. So spiritual zombies, that's all that can be created by religion. But God has resurrection. He resurrects people who are dead in trespasses and sin. It's the new birth. It is so powerful. He puts life in. We can only put life on the outside. We can dress up the outside. We can put lipstick on and, and color the hair and all that. We can do all that stuff. But we can't make life. But God can. And that's the difference. Paul was led to write, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And it doesn't take very long for us after we've been saved to find out how earthen our vessel is. But thanks be to God, there's a treasure in it. And it's called the spirit of a thrice holy God. That's our down payment. Our eternal security is based on that. Now notice here in the book of Hebrews, those who have Christ, he has promised this. Hebrews 12, verses uh, 5 through 11. And ye have begotten, or excuse me, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now, what does he do? I think one of the things he does so well is he reminds us that we couldn't know the first thing about sin until we're regenerated. And then he reminds us every day we're children of Adam, fail. We're just frail, frail as the dust. We're frail as 
as stubble, and we have to depend on him. We're frail in our righteousness. We have none of our own. He just, he reminds us of those things. We couldn't get it through our head before we're regenerated, but afterwards, how does he chase this? He reminds us where we came from. He doesn't want us to get this head about us that we're more valuable, more important than our God, that we can do things without him. He just keeps reminding us. I just can't help believe that that's one of the way he just chastens us. You're dust, and I made you into life. Just remember what Adam was before God breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. A pile of dirt. But when God breathed on him, he became a living soul. All he reminds us, just read the scriptures. He reminds us, without me ye can do nothing. The flesh profiteth nothing. If that isn't chastening, our old pride just loves to get up above that. We want to get above that. But Christ just continuously reminds us, it is I and not you. It is my righteousness and not your righteousness. It is my peace and not your peace. It is me and not you. And he does it in such a delightful way. Oh, Lord, how could I ever get haughty? And he just, well, then he chases us, brings us the word. He says, look at the Jews. And then don't ever say, I'd never do that. He chastens us. He just corrects us. Now, he goes on to say here, uh, verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Oh, he just shows us Christ and shows us the weakness of the flesh. Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. How do you know that? Chasing hand of God kept him, kept him down so he could look at Christ. And then he goes on to say here, uh, but if ye be without ch- chastisement, if you think more of yourself than you think, you know you are. If you, you're a little haughty and high-minded about your position before the Lord, he says here, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have, much, uh, have had fathers of our flesh which correcteth us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not? much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live. Oh, he'll chasten us. He'll chastise us. He'll correct us. He does it through his word, and I just can't help but think he just reminds us, you're a child of Adam. Don't think of yourself more than you are. I raised you, not you. I gave you repentance, not you. I am where I placed you where you are, not you. And he just keeps reminding us. And you know, when he does, we're thankful. We're thankful. Another thing I find there with that horse, in the midst of all our trials, when we see death coming, when we see trials, the Savior's with us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He just puts us on behind him. 
He just picks us up and puts us on behind him. Now our trials, this I just love. Our trials soon will be over. Either by the intervention of providence or him calling us home. Our trials will soon be over. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Oh, how glorious these four horsemen. They all represent the same person. They're allegories about the same person. They're, they're the four gospels in many respects. Just like we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see something in one that we don't see in the others. This one left this out. These three added. These three spoke about it. You put it all together and you get that description and that, that testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ that God intended for us to have. And here as we look at these four horsemen, we see the characteristics and attributes of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, when it comes to the redemption of his people. He is the conqueror and he saves his people from their sins. He is the one. He says, don't you worry when divisions come. It's not them hating you. It's them hating me. What did it, what did the uh, same, oh man, he just wept when they wanted a king. And the Lord says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me from ruling over them. And that's just the way it is. And then, oh Lord, I sure wish you'd have come to me sooner. He says, I'm the one that's in charge where the gospel goes. I'm the king of the gospel. If it's dark, it's there for a reason. If it's light, I'm there for a reason. If I came, I came for a reason. If I don't go, I don't go for a reason. And then finally he says, I am the door that will pass you between this life of corruption and this life of problems and this life of fears and this life and this life of all the stuff that we go through. I'm the door that will present you to glory. I am the king of death. Oh, a lot of people got death blamed on the devil. He's in charge. No. The Lord Jesus never relinquished that position. He has the keys of hell and of death. Now notice here in Romans chapter 8 verse 35. What delightful verses of scripture we have here. That uh, the apostle Paul was used to write for our comfort. Romans 8.35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, all those things that this one riding on the horse, shall any of these things separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So whatever it is, by the providence of God, by the intervention of God's providence, or by him calling us home, the Lord will put an end 
to our sorrow. And even Methuselah, 969 years, the Lord opened up the gates of heaven through the door of death, and he saw him in his glory. Now, I intended to have a hymn book out here that had a song mark. One of the old, uh, old hymn writers wrote a song about the death being a servant of the Lord to be the door into glory. I'll read that some other time.